Are you ready to study the scriptures? All right, get out your Bibles, and uh, we're, we're, as you know, we're on a series called Philippians. It's the book of Philippians, and we're calling it The Secret of Being Content. We're looking through this book, this letter, this very personal letter from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to these people that he loves, that he has such affection for, that he's experienced uh, life with, and he's sharing with them, really from the cornerstone idea in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is the, this is the lens that we're looking through to see what God has to say to us about contentment. We're looking at this uh, book, this entire letter, through the lens of this passage, and we're looking to find the secrets of contentment. And so let's begin in uh, chapter 3, verse 12. As you know, we've been uh, going through each chapter in each section, and so <clears throat> I want to read verse 10 here, and then we'll go, verse 10 and 11, and then it'll go on into verse 12, okay, because that's where we're starting. Verse 10 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. Everybody say, press on. Press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that it would give light and revelation to every one of us. As we read it, speak to us. Lord, not just through my words, but your words speaking into our hearts. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pressing on is a picture that the Apostle Paul gives us here. He's talking about pressing forward in his life with Christ. We see him and he's saying, he's saying not that I've already obtained all this. I, he's, he, we see him, he's very humble in the way that he addresses us. He's, he's writing this letter and he's saying, look, I haven't arrived. I am not uh, at the end of the journey. There is still more to the journey. It's so important for us to grasp this idea. How big God is. How infinite he is. Since he is infinite, there is always going to be more to discover, right? So we can't, we, it, well, the first thing we see when the Apostle Paul is, is, is writing here in this section, he's saying, look, I haven't, I haven't uh, arrived at this uh, location where I know everything about God. I'm still pressing. I'm still reaching. I haven't arrived at heaven, he's certainly saying, but I don't even know that he's really talking about heaven, I think he might be talking about something else here. And we need to explore this. But the first thing you need to understand is none of us have arrived. None of us should think we arrived. None of us should sort of obtain sort of a super spiritual attitude, no matter what kind of deeper things of God 
that you have experienced. No matter how deep you go into God, there's more, which should cause you to be humble, which should cause you to see yourself the way God wants you to see yourself, which is on reaching and pressing forward. Now, notice what he says here. He says, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. It's a picture of a runner. It's the, the, the imagery here in the language that the Apostle Paul is writing with is to lean forward. You've seen when runners, they run through the tape. What do they do when they get to the finish line? They lean. They lean forward. When you see a football player, he reaches with the football across the plane of the goal line. You know, in 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 into the touchdown zone. He reaches. You know the rule is there, there's an imaginary wall right there at the uh, as the ball crosses that plane, and that's why they you see it when they when they go through and they look at it again through um, replay. You can see whether or not the player is passing the ball across the goal line, and as he gets it across, if his knees haven't touched, if nothing else has touched the ground, it's a touchdown. This is the image that the Apostle Paul wants to see, that the Christian life is a life of leaning in. It's a life of reaching toward. The kingdom of God is a forward-reaching kingdom. It is not a kingdom that looks behind it's a kingdom that pushes forward. And so we see the Apostle Paul uh, uh, highlighting this like a runner who's running. Now, I ran, I ran yesterday because I'm in training to do uh, this uh, half marathon that we're going to do. We're going to do a one chapel slash mountain gateway uh, uh, half marathon. We're going to do it on January 28th. We want all of you to come and be involved, uh, all that want to run with us. But I'm training because I've never run a half marathon. I've really never run more than three miles at a time. So yesterday I ran six miles. <laughs> unbelievable. When I tell you unbelievable, it's unbelievable. And so I was, it was such a, a great thing. But I, as I was running, you know, your body kind of, it, it acts up on you. It tries to convince you to stop. It says, oh, this is bad for you. This is very bad for you. This isn't good. This isn't going to make you feel bad. It's not going to make you feel good. Now, is that a lie or is that the truth? It's actually a lie because the more you run and the more aerobic exercise you get, the more that you learn how to be healthy and strong and you push your body, you sort of make it submit to what's really important. Eat less cheeseburgers, less pizza. Love the cheeseburgers, love the pizza. Got to get rid of it. But, what, but as I was running, my body was processing whatever pizza I'd eaten, and it was, it was yelling at me. My, I, I had a gut ache, and then my shoulder hurt, and then my legs felt like I, they were lead, and about mile five, and I just kind of kept going. And, um, and there's something about looking forward, just looking ahead. Don't look here. <laughs> Don't look behind you. Don't, don't do anything except just go straight. And don't do anything except this. Because if you mess up my rhythm, I'm stopping. There's something about the focus that God wants for us that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's talking about focus. He's talking about attitude. He's talking about a position that you are living in as you live the Christian life. 
So I'm pressing and reaching for something, but here's what, here's what Paul says. I'm reaching for something. I'm, I'm, I'm pressing to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. And here's the beautiful picture. It's not that the Christian life is all about what you can do to reach for it. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, look, you, I'm reaching, but it is in the context of Jesus having taken hold of me and holding me in his hands. And it's not that I'm doing what I'm doing by myself or on my own, but he has actually taken hold of me. And everything that I reach for is done in the context of that beautiful grace. That's what, that's what this is. Are you with me? All right, so... The Apostle Paul could have highlighted his own holiness. He could have highlighted his own work in the gospel, which he had done much of. He could have highlighted his own, the goal of the resurrection, which he just talked about in verse 11. He could, have, he could, he could, he could be talking about all those things, but he wants us to understand that it's in the context of God. King Jesus has grasped a hold of me. He's taken a hold of me, and all I'm doing is now responding to him as he's taken a hold. As his hand is on my shoulder, I'm reaching for him. There's a, both an, there's a both and, a both and to Christianity. It's not an either or. It's not as if you're not made to reach, and it's not as if he doesn't reach out to you. It's both. And so if you look just a, just a couple pages to your left in Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse Eight. Let me read it to you. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by what? Not by works, not by anything you've done, so that nobody can boast. This is all about what Jesus has done, right? But then in the next breath, look what he says. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Oh, wait a minute. We can't grab a hold of this by works, but we can and we should and we're made to do good works. So we, we this, this is this picture. He says we should do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This speaks to him having grabbed a hold of us. He has a purpose and a plan and now he wants us to respond to him and reach, press on to the goal. What's the goal? Is it going to heaven? Is the goal going to heaven? I don't think that's what he's talking about. I don't think he's talking about living in the sweet by and by and just looking for something to escape this world. That is not anything like the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's talking about something entirely different. Let's unpack it and see what he's saying. He says here, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. I love how he does this. Apostle Paul does this a few times in his letters. One thing I'm doing, and then he lists two things. <laughs> he, says, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He has called us to look up. He has called us to look to the future. But the cool thing is, we're not just taking hold of Jesus. He's also taking hold of us. So here's a phrase I want you to remember. Position is nothing. Direction is everything. Position is nothing. Direction is everything. This is how we should think about ourselves in our Christian walk. 
It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter where you've been in the past. What matters is where you're going. Position is nothing. Direction is everything. We must not look back, the apostle says. Paul says, we cannot live on yesterday's manna. Yesterday's manna. What's that a reference to? It's a reference to the Israelites living in the wilderness and God providing manna every day for them. He provided it for them and he told them, you can't store it up. You just get it every day. And still, some of them tried to store it up. And what happened to it? It would rot. It was only good for that day. It's a symbol. It's an idea about God and his provision. We can't look at yesterday and save it for today. We can't try to reproduce what Jesus did last week. Ooh, that was a really good song. Here in your presence. Oh, I love that. That was so awesome. Can we sing that again next week so God will do the same thing he did this week? That's that's not how it works. The kingdom of God is a forward-looking kingdom. The kingdom of God moves forward and it reaches. We're stretching to obtain what Jesus is doing in our, our, ourselves. Now, most people don't have a problem with thinking that they're super spiritual, although some do. Super spiritual, we shouldn't think that we're, you know, we've really arrived. But most people have trouble with what? They have trouble with looking at their past and the failures, the mistakes. Revelation chapter 12 talks about the enemy of our souls and how he accuses you day and night. And that ultimately, when the end of all time, the end of the age has come, that accuser will be hurled down. He will be conquered. But what happens to you and me is he tries to accuse us. He tries to make us think all the time about what, how we failed, what our mistakes have been how we can't move forward because we're caught in the clutches of our history, of our past. It's a lie from the enemy, and we need to break its power over us. Did you know that Isaiah 43, 25 says that God remembers your sin no more? He doesn't remember your sins. It's something wonderful that he does that sometimes we have trouble with because we remember. But the blood of Jesus is working if we'll surrender to it. To to Hebrews, Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 talks about the blood of Jesus and how it cleanses our conscience from every act that leads to death. Can you believe that the blood of Jesus can cleanse a conscience? Something that feels, you feel so bad about. Something that you feel so horrible about. It, it, you should look this passage up later. We don't have time to do it today. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 through 14. It talks about the blood of Jesus, how it cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death. Psalm 10 says that God has removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the West. That's a long ways. Micah 7.19 says that he's hurled our sin into the depths of the sea. Listen, listen. You can't look back. You got to look ahead. This reminds me of the reason that we have big, giant windshields in the front of our cars and just a little bitty rear view mirror. 
Why do they do that? Big windshield, little tiny rear view mirror. Why? Because where you're going is more important than where you came from. You got to grab a hold of that truth. You got to grab a hold. That, here's, here's the thing. Listen to me. Listen to me. You have to get this because this is the key, part of the key. The Apostle Paul is trying to tell people, look, I need you to reach toward what God has for you. I want you to reach toward him, not sitting back, enjoying your life, sitting back in an easy chair. You know, God's pretty good. It's cool. You know, God's part of my life. It's nice. I like it. It's, you know, I let him, I let him do stuff. Listen, part of what the problem has been is the prosperity gospel sort of trained us to think that it's all about us and what God gives us. It's not. It's about straining to him, stretching toward him. And much like exercise or running, there is a difficulty in that process. And yet, at the end of the process is something so healthy, so strong, something that gives you confidence, just like running six miles does. You, you got to get that this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate here to people. Let's go on. Let's keep, let's, let's keep reading. Uh, well, let me, let me just highlight this for you. You can write it down. God has not only forgiven our sins, but he has wiped them away completely. He's wiped them away completely. Verse 15 says, all of us then who are mature should take a view of such things. <laughs> Look at what he's saying. And if, once, if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Okay, you see what he's doing here? He's like, everybody who's mature should think like I do. And if you disagree with anything I've said, I'm sure God will tell you. And then he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Can I just tell you for a minute here? Part of the secret to the Christian walk is just doing the things you already know. I'm not talking about having to know all the deeper things of God in order to have a successful Christian life. That's not what it is. It's just living up to what you've already attained. That's what God's asking you to do. So many Christians, they run into a crisis. They run into something in their life, in their family, at their work, and then they haven't been living up to what they already knew they should have been doing. They haven't been, they haven't have a life of, cultivated a life of prayer. They haven't cultivated a listening ear. They haven't gotten the scriptures into them with just life to their souls. And, but they know they should. They're just too busy. You know, it's just too hard. There's so many things going on. It's just so difficult. And then they get to the crisis and they try to do it real fast. Oh God, I need the scriptures. What are you telling me to do? Oh my gosh, what is it? I got to find it somewhere. It doesn't happen. Much like a runner, much like somebody who's reaching forward, as you reach, as you press, as you take, as you grasp, then you get stronger. And in the moment of crisis, you know what to do. You know how to handle it. You know you can stay steady even in the midst of this chaos that seems to be going on around you. The Apostle Paul is saying, this is how mature people act. 
This is what mature people do. Look at, what, look at the list. If you look at the marks of the mature that he's already articulating in this passage, he's saying people who are, fo- people who are mature, they're focused on the future and not their past. People who are mature are looking to Christ and the prize to be won. He's saying, look, look at the mature, see that they're not super spiritual, but they realize there's more to be discovered. They're living according to what they've already attained. And this, this is important, they're running with others. They're, they're running with others. They're not alone. It's not about just them. They're, they're engaged with others. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at verse 17. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as us as a model, everybody say model. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. What this essentially says is you have to have people around you who are going to live the life with you. Who are going to show you how to do it. Everybody needs a running partner. It's very difficult to, to keep going, to increase your distance, to push harder, to reach farther without a partner. Yesterday, I was finishing my sixth mile, and I was pooped. And I was going, and I was running, and Jacob Hancock, oh, he was sitting over here earlier. Uh, Jacob Hancock sh- showed up because he'd already run his six miles in, like, I don't know, eight-minute mile increments. And, and then he... And then he showed up and, uh, and, and ran the last um, mile, really, with me. I am sure that I would not have kept running. I would have stopped and walked if he hadn't been there running with me. He was running with me. He was running beside me. Yes, my 45-year-old body was crying out, shrieking in pain. His 20-year-old body was just bouncing along with But that 18, whatever. (laughs) But here's the point. Here's the point. He was, I needed him. I needed him. And there's there's something, there there certainly is um, something about this generational dynamic. He needs me not to get him to run faster. He needs me in other areas of his life. But I need him to help me. And, and so we, we've, got this, we've got this picture that the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, follow me, brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes on people who live like we do. When you have a community, when you have a group of people, when you're, when you're connected, you can make it. You can, you can press through. You can push through the pain. And if you notice, when you push through, somehow the pain in your stomach or the pain in your legs Something happens, it goes away. You push through it as you're running. And it's incredible how this works if you can get encouragement from a partner. Verse 18, it says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. What is it that made the Apostle Paul tearful when he described this? He said, I'm describing this even through tears. It was real to him. He saw people being lost. He saw them being consumed by what was around them. They they had no ability to reach. They They weren't reaching to Jesus. They were consumed in what was going on around them. I want to be filled with compassion like that. 
I want to be the kind of person that's going to include others. I want to be the kind of person that is willing to reach Jesus, to reach him, to grab a hold of him. It's not that we're reaching to escape. Look at this. Look what he says. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Look at that little phrase. Jesus, the power to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In other words, you can run and it won't hurt. I'm looking forward to that. And then he says in verse 1, if you understand the chapter divisions came later, but the verse 1 continues the thought, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now notice, we must see this passage through the lens of the first century Christian. Philippi was a Roman colony. All right? A Roman colony. Everybody say the word colony. It's likely that these people in northern Greece saw Rome in somewhat of a negative light. In in, a hundred years before this time, before Paul came to this area, Philippi was the setting for one of the great battles of the Roman Civil War. And there was a bunch of soldiers that had settled there. They They had soldiers all over the place. And Antony and Octavian, the future emperor Augustus, does that sound familiar to you? Octavian, Augustus, you know who that is? That's... That's the one that's talked about in Luke 2. So here it is. You see, um, you see here, they, they were in uh, northern Greece, all these soldiers, and they had nothing to do. So they didn't want them coming back to Rome. They didn't want all the soldiers to sweep back into Rome. That's trouble. All those soldiers that have been out fighting. So what did they do? They gave them property, and they established a colony. A bunch of other veterans came. They made it a colony of Rome, and by the time Paul got there, Philippi contained a number of descendants from these original colonists. And Philippi was on this main road. It ran uh, west to the north, uh, narrowest part of the Adriatic Sea, where you could sail easily across Italy and travel on to Rome. So the, they had close contact with the mother city. So Philippi becomes this colony, it becomes colonized, and. Ultimately, Philippian colonists ended up being Romans. They were proud of being Romans and would do their best to order their civic life so that it matched what was happening in Rome. So here they are. you got to see that they're, they're, they're hearing the Apostle Paul's letter through this lens. We're a colony of Rome. They're thinking through this civic life. They're hearing it much as we do through our cultural lens. One of the most recent innovations in that cultural lens. Are you guys still with me? Sorry for the history lesson. One of the most recent cultural distinctions or innovations was the establishment of the imperial cult. Which was Caesar, the emperor, was to be worshipped as, get this, savior and lord. So when the Apostle Paul says Savior and Lord in his letters, he's making a direct sort of allusion to understanding this is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, not Caesar, our Savior and Lord. So it's important to understand. He says, we are citizens of heaven. Say that together. We are citizens of heaven. At once, we all look at this and we kind of 
think it, we think we know what that means, but as modern Christians, we tend to misunderstand. We think that it means, and we're waiting until we can go and live in heaven where we belong. That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Actually, no. That's not what Paul says, and that's not actually what he means. If someone were in Philippi and they said, we're citizens of Rome, they certainly wouldn't mean, so we're looking forward to going back to live there. Being a colony works the other way around. Now listen to this. The last thing the emperors wanted was a whole lot of colonists coming back to Rome. The capital was overcrowded and already underemployed. So the task of the Roman citizen in a place like Philippi was to bring Roman culture and rule to northern Greece to expand Roman influence there. That was the role of a, of a Roman colony. So now you're starting to see the picture. Suppose things got difficult in Philippi. Suppose they got they were attacked. Suppose there was a local rebellion or some of the tribes from the north would come down and get them. How would they cope? Are you guys still with me? Their best hope, the Philippian people, their best hope would be that the emperor himself, who is after all called savior, rescuer, would come from Rome to Philippi to change their circumstances, their defenseless situation and defeat their enemies and establish them as firmly and gloriously as Rome itself. That was the point. That was the point of Roman rule. That was the point of Roman colonies. The emperor, of course, was the ruler of the whole world. And he had the power to make all of this happen under his authority. So are you starting to get the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting? The church is at present day a colony of heaven. We are living, we are colonizing earth. The church is a pres at present a colony of heaven with responsibility, as we say in the Lord's Prayer, for bringing the life and rule of heaven to bear here on the earth. That's what we're doing. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. We are not, of course, very good at doing this sometimes. <laughs> We find ourselves weak and helpless. Our physical bodies are wearing out. We're dying. We're decaying. We feel like we're ready to die when we run six miles. But our hope is that the true Savior, the true Lord, the King, Jesus himself, will come from heaven and change all this. In fact, we look forward to that moment. Some would say we reach toward that moment. What we're talking about here and what the Apostle Paul is saying is he says, stand firm in the Lord. We understand what this means now. It doesn't just mean, oh, think of faith about the sweet by and by and when you'll be rescued from this earth. He means, I want you to give allegiance to Jesus rather than Caesar. I want you to reach toward God, the King of heaven and earth, rather than this Savior and Lord that you've come to know. After all, there will be, the scripture teaches, a new heaven and a new earth. And what we're doing is we're colonizing we are acting as if the king is coming. What would it mean? Here's the question. What are we pressing to and reaching for? We're reaching for total allegiance to Christ. You can write this down. Total allegiance to Christ. Nothing else. And his kingdom rule here on the earth. That's what we're reaching for. What would it mean for the church to truly live as a colony of heaven. 
what would it look like if we didn't, if we didn't live our lives just kind of making it and hanging on till we leave? I think that's not a good idea. It's actually the opposite. What we're doing is we're preparing for the king to come. What we're doing is we're making things ready for the time when there will be ultimate rule established by King Jesus himself. All his enemies will be put under his feet. That's what we're reaching towards. That's where we're going. That's what's happening. And here's the thing you got to get. Satisfaction comes when we are confident in our Savior and King to do what he said he would do. Contentment comes when you believe that this is where we're, this is where we're living, this is what's happening, and you are doing everything you can to reach to him. Contentment is about knowing he's got you in his hands, in his arms. He's taken a hold of you. And the grace that you feel is from him. Contentment is trusting that God is truly in charge and his kingdom is coming. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be consumed in your own fears or your past. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just take a moment here. We're gonna pray together and I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you, and I want him to put his finger on what's going on in your life and in your heart. Are you willing to establish his rule in your life? Are you really willing to reach towards him, to live the Christian life in a forward-looking motion? Are you trying to get rid of the junk of your past and it's hanging on, you can't seem to rid yourself of it. Jesus wants to free you today of your failures, your mistakes, your pain. He wants to help you look forward rather than back. So just with your eyes closed, I want him to speak to you. And I want you to listen to him. Father, I pray for every person here in this auditorium, that we would be the kind of people that wouldn't be consumed by our past, that our history wouldn't control us, but that somehow what you're doing now and what you want to do in the future, we pray for that to define us. I pray that every person would receive the forgiveness that is available as they trust in you and look to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, let every heart be free of the clutches, of the chains of mistakes and failures of the past. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, never looking back, not looking to the right or the left. Father, I pray that you'd help us to see that you're coming, that your rule is coming, and that's what we're reaching for is you ruling and reigning in us and in the earth. I thank you for this. Do your work now. Speak into people's hearts. Change us in your presence. Change our perspective. With your eyes closed, I just want to make one more call 
and it is to people who feel like you've been away from the Lord, somehow you've wandered away from him, and you want to come home today. You want to say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want to pray for you. I want to give you an opportunity to make a commitment to Christ. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But I want to give you a chance to lift your hand and say, I need to follow Jesus. I need Jesus, and I want to reach toward him. I want to reach out towards him and make a commitment to him. So whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, if you sense him calling you and you need to make a firm commitment today, I want you just to shoot your hand up in the air right now, right here, right here among us. Yep, one, two, three, four. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anyone else? Yep, five, I see it. Six, anyone else? Seven, eight, such a good decision to make to commit your life to Christ. Come on, everybody, let's pray this prayer together. I want everybody in the room to pray it after me, not because the words are so magical, but because faith in your heart is rising up, and I want you to pray this with me. Come on, everybody say it after me. Say, Heavenly Father. Say it out loud. Come on, strong. Heavenly Father, thank you for rescuing me. Forgive me for my sins, my failures, my past. Help me not to look back. Help me to look forward. I reach my hand towards you. I want to follow you. I want you to come into my life. Make me a new person. Forgive me and heal me. I choose you above all else. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior and my Lord. Father, I pray for every person who prayed that prayer today, that you would seal the work that you're doing in the Holy Spirit, and that you would draw them, walk with them, protect them. Lord Jesus, would you surround them? Give them grace, oh God as they commit their lives to you. We celebrate with them. We thank you for what you're doing in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God for what he's doing in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus.